Um, I didn't expect, I didn't know what to expect when my brother got up here, but it's always a blessing to hear him speak because we go back, you know, and uh, I was laughing with him on the way up here like, man, I just was thinking about the other day how we used to get in our battle stations to get ready to do our drugs, you know, and I remember the state of mind we were in and I was laughing with him and the Lord like, man, who would have thought at that time that the Lord would have chose you and me to speak in front of God's people. I just thought that was the most funniest thing and the most glorious thing at the same time. So I give God the praise. I'm going to ask that you pray for me as I pray and continue to ask the spirit of the Lord to be here. Is that okay? Let's pray. What my brother talked about was, was very important. He talked mainly about how to reach those who are in bondage and as well as who are the eligible candidates to be reached. That's very important. What I want to talk about is equally important, and the whole subject that I'm going to be discussing by the power of God today is how to overcome. How to overcome. And when I say overcome, I mean addictions, period. But in essence, what I'm going to cover today is how to overcome anything that Satan throws at you. And I'm just going to cover three points. To make it simple, to hope, hopefully you can remember these three points on how to overcome sin and addiction. It's a recipe that has never failed, and it's biblical. Um, let me ask you guys a question. What is an idol? What's the definition of an idol? Anything that you put before God, anything that takes the place of God. Would you agree with that? I'm going to read something to you that kind of blew my mind. It, it really changed my life. It's found in the book, That I May Know Him, page 322. Listen up. Anything that separates our affections from God and lessens our interest in eternal things is an idol. Let me read it again. It's that profound. Anything that separates our affections from God and lessens our interest in eternal things is an idol. Isn't that powerful? A whole lot of things on this earth separates your affections from God. A whole lot of things lessens your interest in eternal things. And I guarantee you, and I promise you, and I, and, I, and I feel pretty confident you agree with me, that addictions, whatever you're addicted to, it could be pornography, it could be movies, it could be people, it could be drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, they all lessen your interest in eternal things. So guess what? Addictions is in the Bible. Do you know what it's called? idolatry. Now let's go a little deeper here. I love what the servant of the Lord spoke of for divine hour because what I'm going to talk about it goes right in tune. What is the what is an idol a symbol of in the Bible? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's also in Deuteronomy as well. It's actually in a couple places in the Bible, but we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and if you, when you get there would you please say amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, <clears throat> beginning with verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 19. Amen? The Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19. What say I then? That the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to what, everyone? 
devils or demons, and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with who? An idol is a representation of demons. Now let's, let's rewind a little bit. Anything that separates your affections from God or lessens your interest in eternal things, cigarettes, drugs, weed, pornography, even movies. I've been guilty, and I know this is true for me. I don't know about you. Have you ever watched a movie that you know you shouldn't have watched, whether it be an action movie, and then you try to read a Bible after that? Lessens your interest in eternal things. That's an idol. We just read that idols are affiliated with what? Demons. What Todd spoke of this morning was so profound. Satan manifests himself in the United States in a different way than he does in other countries. You know what the servant of the Lord says about the demoniac in Mark chapter 1? He was possessed with the devil. She said that same spirit that was in that man was in the Pharisees. The exact same spirit. He manifested himself one way wild and crazy, screaming and yelling. The other way he was sophisticated and intelligent, a churchgoer and a law abider. The same spirit. I submit to you today. That if anyone is battling with addictions, there is a power behind the addiction that you're battling against. Wait a minute, you might say, I've known people who's overcome drugs and cigarettes without Jesus. I'm going to tell you something here. In my experience, in my brother's experience, whenever someone overcomes an addiction supposedly without Jesus, that spirit of addiction is still there. You know what usually happens? It's replaced by something else. I remember when I stopped smoking cigarettes, you know what I picked up? All of a sudden, nonchalantly, I just picked up Pepsi cans and Coca-Cola cans, and I was drinking coffee like crazy. Didn't understand why. But the spirit of addiction is there. Let me say something to you. And, and, and the Lord put this on my heart of what an addiction is. An addiction is a visible manifestation of a spiritual bondage. Did you get that? Let me say it again. I had to write this down. The Holy Spirit gave it to me yesterday. An addiction is a visible manifestation of a spiritual bondage. Oh, that's from, from, the, from the Holy Ghost, brother. He just, yeah, he just dropped it on me yesterday, and I had to write it down. Yeah, I'm sorry. But it makes sense, does it not? There's a deeper spirit attached to it. Because what Satan doesn't want you to realize is that these drugs, these idols, really have spirits of evil attached to them. And therefore, you're bound with a supernatural power. But that leads me to my first point. Being that addictions are affiliated with demonic activity, they're tools of Satan designed to separate your affections from God and lessen your interest in eternal things. Being that it's a supernatural thing now, there is only one name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. There's only one name that when mentioned, the host of darkness trembles. And that name is Jesus Christ. Would you say amen? amen. But point number one, here it is, of overcoming addictions or sin is that you have to want to be free. And here's what I mean by that. Point number one, you have to want to be free and you have to cry out to Jesus with all your heart 
and with all your soul. I mentioned it this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. But if thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. It's very important that we understand that when somebody is ready to overcome something, you have to cry out with all your heart. The children of Israel were in bondage in Israel, in, in Egypt, I'm sorry. Do you know why God decided to set them free? He said, he told Moses at the burning bush. You can read it in Exodus 2 or 3. He said, I have heard the cry of my people. There's an example of what I'm saying in the same story I mentioned in Mark chapter 1 with the demoniac. He was bound by Satan. He wanted to be free. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit of what I read in Desire of Ages chapter 25. The demoniac knows Jesus is in the synagogue. And he tries to run in there and, 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 and request his freedom and say, Lord, help me or save me. But as he runs in the synagogue, Satan takes control of his vocal cords. And all of a sudden, the words that he wanted to say, he can't say. And Satan speaks through him and says something like, Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And causes a disruption in the synagogue. Now, everyone else in the synagogue, all they have seen and all they have heard was a, a, a wild lunatic. But Jesus saw something else. Within that man, Jesus saw a prisoner bound. Somebody's will that was not in control. He was not in control of his will anymore. And Jesus heard something that no one else heard. I'm going to read a quote to you. And this blew my mind. It's in the chapter 25 of Desire of Ages. Speaking of the same man, the demoniac in place of prayer could utter only the words of Satan. Yet the heart's unspoken appeal was heard. No cry from a soul in need. Though it fail of utterance in words, will be unheeded. You ought to say amen to that. Amen. This tells you that no matter how dark of a pit that you're in, no matter how long you've been battling with this addiction, and it's been beating you up and beating you down, even to the point where you don't even have control of your own voice, Jesus will hear the cry of your soul. And you don't even have to use your own words. Would you say amen? Amen. I love this scripture here, and it spoke to my heart, too. In Isaiah 49, it says, Thus saith the Lord, speaketh to anyone wrestling with addictions, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. God is good. But step number one is you have to cry out to him with all your heart and with all your soul to be free. Three and a half years ago, I was a complete slave of Satan. I was a drug addict to the worst degree. My brother and I was on drugs for 10 years straight without the Lord. And three and a half years ago, we, we were at the lowest low. Every time I read the story of a demoniac, I think of myself and my brother. If you would have spoken to us three and a half years ago, we would have told you that it actually felt like we had a beast living within us. We used to call our addiction the beast. And the beast would tell us what to do. The beast within us would tell us when to sleep, when to eat, when to use the bathroom, when to be happy, when to be sad, and of course, when to get the drug. We were under the taskmaster's whip of Satan, and we could not break free. Our will was not our own. We, it was like we were, I, I, I've written it down in my journal when I was high on drugs, and I used to cry on this paper and write down how I felt. And I used to write, I feel like a prisoner in my own body. 
like a spectator looking on the, on the outside at my own self. And that's how I felt, like another being entered into me and, and trapped me within my, my own body. My mother called me during that time, and I praise God for my mother. She called me and she said, Adam, you got your two girls, and you're not taking them to church. You're not taking them to Bible study. They don't know nothing about the Lord. And I knew about God because my mother raised me right. And so I said, you know what, I'll bring them to your house. My mom was having Bible studies that Friday night. And did you touch on the testimony, bro, the Bible study? Yeah. So I brought, brought them over to the Bible study. And I, I just praise God for that Bible study because God is a master strategist. He will do anything it takes to save you, even take your life. He loves you that much. And so he strategized a plan for my brother and I. What I need to do is get these hopeless, depressed drug addicts into my presence. You see, I used to call his house the dungeon. Nothing but demons dwelt there. And I can tell you all kind of dark stories and evil things that occurred. But every time we went to my mother's house, we called it the house of healing. Every time we walked through the threshold of the door, we felt a presence lift. And I know through supernatural eyes, as God gave them to me, the devils that were following us got checked at the door by the angels. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. We used to go there as we were withdrawing just to, just to withdraw a little better because it was the house of healing. So God said, let me bring them into my presence. And there's something powerful about the presence of the Lord. I'm going to read you a quote. Same story, the demoniac, Desire of Ages, chapter 25. Now think about this. My brother and I were without hope. We felt trapped by this beast. We felt like there was no way out. I, I felt like this was it for my life. This was my life, always on the battery, running to get drugs. That's it. But as I was in that room, something began to change. Being in the presence of Christ alone does wonders. Let me read this to you. Speaking of the same demoniac, the mind of this wretched sufferer had been darkened by Satan. But in the Savior's presence, a ray of light had pierced the gloom. He was roused to long for freedom from Satan's control. Just because he was in the presence of Christ, all of a sudden the hopeless begin to have hope. All of a sudden the person who feels depressed starts to ask questions like my brother said. You know what, could, is it possible that I could be free? Do you see why and how it's important that you and I are so filled with the presence of God? That someone in bondage, being in your presence, all of a sudden the hopeless will have hope. Folks, that is paramount to freedom because Satan will blind you. You don't even know there's a way out. But being in Christ's presence alone brings hope to the hopeless. I went home after a couple uh, uh, Bible studies of being in God's presence. All of a sudden, I was like, could, there be a, could, could I be free? Could I be like these people who are praising God? And I never asked those questions before. I, I was totally depressed. Finally, you know, to cut the story short, I fell on my knees in his apartment. I was a total bum. Didn't have a job for four years. Was a poor father to my kids. Was separated from my wife. Didn't have any job. I was scheming and scamming. Doing all kind of dirt I can't, I'm, I'm ashamed of. I won't even mention because we don't have the time. But I fell on my knees and I was a wasted mess. I'm still talking about point number one, y'all. Crying out. <laughs> I'm going to get point number two and three. It's not going to be that long. But point number one. I, I, I was on my knees and i never forget. I... I I, I, because of the hope stirred in my heart, I said, Father, 
if you're out there. And I praise God that I even said if, because before I didn't even think about God. But because I was in the presence of the Lord, I said if. Hallelujah. That's what being in the presence of God would do. That's why it's important for us to knock on doors, to go and minister unto those, because you're bringing the spirit of the Lord to those in affliction and in bondage. And guess what? You're leaving them with questions. I said, if you're out there, Father, please help me. And I started to shake because I was withdrawing and the beast was saying, go get the drug. It's time. It's time. And I had enough. I said, Father, I'm, I'm going to try you now. I said, if you're out there, help me. I've tried rehab. I've tried this. I've tried that. And it's all failed me. And I, I begin to cry now. And I haven't cried like that in years. And tears are flowing. And I'm shaking. And I'm saying, Father, please help me if you're out there. And I pleaded with him to do one thing. I said, hold my hand. I don't know why I said it. But I said, hold my hand. And I cried. Please hold my hand. Come inside this wretched body and operate this broke down machinery. Because I can't do it anymore. Hold my hand. And I picked up this dusty Bible that had a thick layer of dust on it. And I blew it off. And I said, Lord, I want to hear your voice. You see, because I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And Jesus says, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. I was dead and Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Not knowing I needed to hear some life, I needed to hear some words, and hallelujah, I just opened right to the right scripture. Just like I did that day. I didn't know where I was going, I just opened the word, and I said, hold my hand, and like a magnet, my eyes were drawn to Isaiah 42. I, like a magnet, I couldn't pull away. I'm crying out to Jesus now, and he said to me, beginning with verse 5, thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out. He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it. He that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee, Adam, in righteousness and will hold thine hand and keep thee. I couldn't take it. I shut the book. And I said, I can't believe that he heard the cry of a sinner. I asked him to hold my hand. Not only did he say he's going to hold my hand, he said, I called you in righteousness. You know what I saw? I saw myself being righteous. I saw myself being clean. I saw myself being washed. Not only did he say he didn't call me in righteousness, he said, I will keep you. Hallelujah. In order to overcome the first step is you must cry out with all your heart and with all your soul. The Bible says, God speaking in Psalms 91 verse 15, a, a blessed scripture. If you are struggling with addiction, this is God speaking to you today. God is saying, he shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Would you say amen? amen? God is just waiting for you and I and anyone out here struggling with addiction to cry out unto him with all your heart. Point number two, very important indeed. Cut off all avenues of temptation. In other words, don't Put yourself in a position of weakness. I can't say that enough. Because there's been, there's been, there's some Christians today who are battling with addiction. They cry out to the Lord, but they don't do step number two. You got to do all three steps in order to claim victory. You have to cut off the avenues of temptation. And do not put yourself in a position of weakness. The children of Israel, before God gave them the promised land, 
He tells them in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Now the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the, the Parathites, I'll call them, the, all, the, all the ites. They do, they do all these abominations and wickedness. They worship idols, bestiality, homosexuality, you name it. He says, I don't want you uh, mixing with them. I don't want you doing the things that they do. And you know why God told them to destroy them? He said, wipe anybody out doing abominations. You know why? Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 25. Not only does God want you to quit addictions, he wants you to cut off all avenues of temptation for the addiction. Because Satan's temptation is strong enough without it. Deuteronomy 7.25, God has given instructions of what to do with these altars from the heathens. Are, are we there? The Bible says, the graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be what? Snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. God said, don't only just, don't just destroy the people, destroy all the evidence of their sin. Because if you leave it up there, it's going to be a snare for you. It's going to be an avenue for temptation. And one of the saddest things that I can read, one of, there's many in the Bible, in Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1, you can turn there. It starts off listing all the nations that the children of Israel did not destroy. And then in Judges chapter 2, the angel of the Lord comes down, who was Christ. Judges chapter 2, verse 2, he says, And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of the land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Judges chapter 2, verse 3 now. Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be what? Now notice what Jesus says here. He says, I will not drive them out before you. You can cry out to the Lord all you want to with all your heart, but if you're not willing to obey like he tells you to, break down their altars, cut off the avenues of temptation, guess what? It's going to be a snare unto you, and it's going to pull you right back, and Jesus himself is saying, I'm going to let it be. Do you follow me? Plain speaking now, if you're trying to cut, cut out smoking cigarettes, don't hang around people who smoke cigarettes. No. Not until you've gained a victory. If you're trying to overcome smoking weed or doing drugs, guess what? Delete the weed man's number out of your phone. Matter of fact, go ahead and cut the phone off. Here's why. Plenty of times my brother and I have tried to quit smoking weed and cigarettes on our own power. Guess what happens? All of a sudden, we get a text from the weed man. Hey, bro, I got two fat blunts sitting on my lap for you, man, for free. What? That never happens. You, I, I, I promise you. I've tried to quit smoking cigarettes. All of a sudden, my brother comes home. Hey, bro, I got an extra pack of cigarettes for you, man. Here you go. What? That never happens. I promise you, whenever I've tried to quit the drugs or anything I've tried to overcome, all of a sudden, everything's for free. It's Christmas. And you're like, oh, man, I can't pass this one up. But if you put the phone away, if you throw your lighter away, nah, man, I need my lighter to light candles. Throw the lighter away. <laughs> Say the candles till next year, all right? Overcome first, right? Throw the candles away. Throw the blades away, the bongs, all the paraphernalia, all the avenues of temptation. Cut it off. 
destroy the altars, lest they be a snare unto you. And you know what? God is not responsible if you don't break them down. When I cried out unto the Lord, I knew what was next. He spoke to me clearly. He says, brother, it's time for you now to go into the wilderness. You see, I was in Egypt. And when you get pulled out of Egypt, you go straight to the wilderness. Now, in the wilderness, it's, it's called the wilderness because you're secluded from the world. Ain't no TV in the wilderness. No, there's no TV in the wilderness. There's no worldly music. There's no music at all. Bro. You better sing, hum, um, hum some hymns or something. And that's, I'm, being, I'm being funny, but I'm being serious. God told me straight, straight up, do not cut on anything worldly. I had no TV on. And for two weeks, I didn't sleep because of the drugs. I, didn't, I couldn't eat. I, I was nonstop, like I drunk a hundred pack of uh, Red Bulls, just shaking because of the withdrawal. No TV. And I spent the time that I could outside in nature, in God's word. You know, you're in a supernatural fight. And guess who else? The only people that's in the wilderness besides yourself is Jesus and Satan. Jesus, Satan, and yourself. So why have all the temptations around you at the same time? You're never going to make it. You're never going to make it. I had a um, wonderful uncle who passed away. His name was Uncle my, my Uncle Jeff, man. He's, I smile every time I think of him. He was a wonderful man. He, uh, he was a master martial artist. He was into the high levels of martial arts where, where it was spiritualism. And he also was addicted to manifold drugs, methamphetamines, crystal meth, all that stuff. And because of all that dibbling and dabbling, he became a vessel of demons. My uncle was fully possessed by multiple demons. I can tell you story after story of supernatural feats that he did because of demons. But we don't have time. Uh, he cried out for help. He lived in Gloucester, England. The elders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Gloucester, England, came because they heard the cry. And they came to his house. And they spent all night casting out demons. And one by one, they came forth. He was freed. The Spirit of the Lord was now upon him. And just like any man delivered from such a bondage, the first thing that he wanted to do was go reach out and tell somebody something. When Jesus touches your heart, it affects your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? That's the evidence that Jesus touched your heart. Because you got, excuse my French, diarrhea at the mouth. You just keep going, running, and running. You can't stop. And so my uncle could want us to talk and reach and, and, and proclaim what happened to him, how he was delivered. And the first people he wanted to reach was his friends, fellow drug addicts, fellow alcoholics, good intentions. But the thing and the problem about this was his friends still hung out at the bar. His friends still hung out at locations where Christians shouldn't go. So my uncle had good intentions. He would go to the bar on the outside and do his best to minister unto them. Then he said, you know what? It probably might be more effective if I go inside and minister unto them. You already know where this is going. The altar wasn't tearing down. The avenue of temptation was still there. He, ended up, he ends up now at the bar stool drinking a wine cooler. And just like Taj mentioned this morning, all those demons that left came back with friends. And they inhabited his temple again. The lesson, cut down the avenues of temptation. But that story of my uncle ended on a good note. And let me tell you how it did. He ended up in prison. You're chasing you sore, right? He ended up in prison. My, my uncle did. And just before he was released, he died in his sleep like this. Hallelujah. Praise the, Praise the Lord. 
God knew that as soon as my uncle hit the streets, the temptation, the idolatry, the idols would have been too much for him. And it would have overcame him once again. And his soul would have been lost. So Jesus said, I'm going to take him out now so I can see him again. Hallelujah. That's the God we serve. He loved you so much, he will take your life to save your soul. Point number two, cut off all avenues of temptation. Final point, and I think we need to practice this so much. Exercise your faith in the word of God. Exercising your faith in the word of God activates supernatural power. Let me explain something to you. When you cry out to God for help, Satan at first has control of your will, just like the beast I mentioned. He has control of your will. But when you cry out to God, all of a sudden, Christ will come and take control of your will. But when you exercise faith in his word, Christ then gives you power to empower your will. There's a difference. He takes control when you cry out. But exercising faith in his word empowers your will. Isaiah 42 was the only scripture I, I knew. That's the scripture God gave me when he said he was going to hold my hand, right? And for two weeks, I, I held on to that scripture like I was holding on to the hem of his garment. I didn't watch TV. I didn't do anything else. All I did is in th- 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, because especially from midnight to 9 o'clock in the morning, that's when my body went nuts. I, I kid you not, it felt like an exorcism. I know some of us have seen exorcist movies. That's what I looked like. Your body is out of control. You can't control. You're jerking everywhere. And so I, I couldn't sleep, of course. I would pace up and down in this living room like this all night, all morning. And the only thing I had in the darkness of his home, in the dungeon, we used to call this place a dungeon, was the word of God. And all I had was Isaiah 42. And I would be trembling, I would be in pain, and I would be crying, suffering the consequences of my sin. But now it was time for me to exercise faith in his word because that is the power to push me on over the hill for victory. And you know, here's what I mean by exercising faith in God's word. Let's make it practical, right? Isaiah 42 was my scripture that God gave me. I think it's imperative. I think it, it, it is profoundly important to grab Ask the Lord to deliver you a specific scripture so that you can overcome with. You need a scripture specific to the addiction that you can claim in your trial so he can give you supernatural power to overcome. And it only happens when you exercise faith in his word. Let me make it practical. Isaiah 42. I'm sitting there shaking and trembling and I'm walking up and down. Mind you, He's still doing the drug in the house. I'm living in, in the apartment with him. So that was, sorry to call you Satan. I'm not going to call you Satan, but Satan was using my brother to tempt me. That's better, brother. And say, and say yo, your brother, your brother got the, the drug. Just go ahead and sniff some. He got it. You, you haven't slept in seven days, man. You haven't eaten nothing in seven days. Go ahead and take a little bit so you can sleep. And that was the temptation from Satan. And so I would just grab onto the Bible, and this is what I would say. I would say, Lord. You said that you've called me in righteousness. And at that moment, I'll say, Lord, I believe what you told me. Because when I asked you to hold my hand, you said just that. And that was such a supernatural thing to me. It was undeniable. And because of that experience, I said, Lord, I believe that you've called me in righteousness. And then I would still have that vision of me washed and clean. 
And then as I still trembled, I said, Lord, you said you would hold my hand, Lord. You said you would do it. And the Lord is not a man that he should lie. His word doesn't come back to him void. So the best thing that you can do is quote his own word back at him. That's the best thing you can do. To this day, when I praise God, you know what I do? I open the book of Psalms and give him his word back to him. That's words he's, he's going to answer because it's his words. And I say, Lord, you said you was going to hold my hand. And then I would envision Jesus in the dungeon with me in the darkness. And I said, Lord, you said you would keep me. And I would believe with all my heart. And trust me, I'm going to be honest with you. It was tough because of what I was feeling. Satan is going to work through the flesh. Christ wants to work through the spirit. And the spirit has power when you have the word. Satan was working through the flesh, talking to me. God is not answering your prayer. You're still shaking. You're still hurting. You're still in pain. But guess what, saints? Guess what was happening? As I was feeling this way and I was crying out and walking up and down. That's why I memorized the scripture because I'm walking up and down just claiming it back and forth. I got through day one. It was a struggle. I got through day two. It was a struggle. I got through day three. It was a struggle. Guess what was happening as I was claiming God's word? Let's go to 2 Peter. And in some cases, like my brother, he can tell you a testimony of how God delivered him from cigarettes. God took the taste from his mouth like that. I said, Lord, why'd you do that for me? He didn't, <laughs> he didn't do that for me. He, he, God can do that. He can take it away from you like that, or he can let you suffer from it. See, God has his own purpose and his own will for each and every one of us. Don't expect him for him to take away the pain because he may need you to suffer the consequences of your sin so you don't go back to it. Second Peter chapter one, verse four. This is what was happened to me. I'm talking about scripture in action here, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of what everyone having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The only reason I was able to get through day one, day two and day three. Number one, I exercised my faith in Isaiah 42 that he called me in righteousness that he was going to hold my hand, and that he was going to keep me. And because I exercised faith in his word, I automatically became a partaker of his divine nature. I automatically became an overcomer of the corruption in the world through lust. Unbeknownst to me at the time, I was given supernatural power. Do you know God has a name for this power? And it's designed to, give, get to be given unto us to overcome our weaknesses? It's in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We talk about it all the time, but I don't think all the time we, don't, we, we talk about it in the right context. We need to really see it as a power given unto us to overcome our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And are we there? Let's look at verse 9. And he said unto me, my what? Is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in what? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities or weakness that the what? Power of who? Whenever I ask somebody, what's grace? A lot, most people say it's God's unmerited favor. It is. But I like the biblical definition better. This one gives you a biblical definition. It tells you in the beginning of verse 9, my grace is sufficient for thee. The very last part of verse 9 says that the power of Christ. 
So what is grace? The power of Christ. According to this word, this verse is given unto you in your moment of weakness. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. How do we get this grace or this power in our moment of weakness? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of what? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to do what? To help. Most people miss that point. Grace is designed to help you in your time of need. Did you get it? Isaiah 42. I'm making it practical here. I'm struggling. I'm coming boldly to the throne of grace, exercising faith in his word. Because I believed in him. This is righteousness by faith, by the way. Because I believed in his word. I believed in his word. Regardless of what I was feeling, regardless of what I was seeing, I believed in his word. And because I believed in his word, he counted it unto me for righteousness. Right? And because I believed in it, I became partaker of the divine nature. Because I believed in it, I received the power of Christ that's given unto me in my moment of weakness in my moment of need, and because of his grace, I became an overcomer. But let's not forget the recipe. You got to cry out. Now, this is as simple as I can make it. Cry out with all your heart. Some of us need to be in the presence of the Lord to even realize where you stand. It's not until you get into the presence of Christ that you see him for who he is, and that automatically makes you see yourself for who you really are. Got to cry out. Number two, you have to cut off the avenues of temptation. Number three, exercise faith in his word. Get a scripture. Now I'm going to close with this testimony. After two weeks, you know, there were times that I couldn't even see because of the withdrawals. My vision got blurred. So I had to just recite any scriptures that I knew off of memory to hang on to. What did Jesus use in the wilderness to defeat Satan? We got to use the word to overcome. All these idols are affiliated with demons. And the way to defeat the devil is through scripture. Claim the word. Get that access to the power to fill you and get you on over. After two weeks, I finally fell asleep for four hours. And I woke up. I went to sleep from like nine to one o'clock. And I woke up and I said, hallelujah. Because I knew from then I was on the road to healing. Was three and a half years, and I knew three and a half years ago, I, I knew I was on a road to being totally free. That God was now, he, he, he honored his word. There was no way in the world. Now, I want to recommend to someone, if you're on a heavy drug like I was, doctors would tell you it's not wise to cut cold turkey. But I was given permission by the doctor of all doctors to go ahead and quit cold turkey. All right? So my case is very unique because I went cold turkey, and that was life-threatening what I did. Most people will have to go to rehab and take it slow. But God gave me instruction to do that. And I felt his assurance to do that. And so I slept for two weeks. But guess what? He cleaned me off the drugs and I was on my path to a new life. But I was still smoking my cigarettes. He freed me about December 2010, right? January 2011, January 1st, 2011. I'll never forget it. It was a Sabbath day. I woke up that morning, Sabbath morning, it was kind of cloudy. I went outside, of course, anyone who smokes cigarettes, the first thing you want to do is smoke a cigarette. Lit my cigarette up. And while I'm smoking a cigarette, I'm getting kind of upset, you know, because I'm newly free now from my bondage. Satan is out of my life in that regard. The heavy bondage is gone. 
And it felt like I just woke up out of a fog, out of a bad dream. And I just wasted four or five years. Family, job, everything. So I'm mad. I want to catch up on everything that I wasted. But I'm mad at God. I'm like, Lord, I've been free for two weeks, and you still haven't told me what I need to do? You still haven't given me a job, Lord? That's how I was. I was pretty crazy. And, I, and I'm getting really impatient with the Lord. So I'm soaking my cigarette like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to the Lord about this. And I put my cigarette out. And I go upstairs, Sabbath morning, January 1st, and I grab my Bible and I get on my knees and I start to pray. Smelling like cigarette and tobacco in the presence of the Lord. That's the wrong kind of smoke to be in his presence. <laughs> and I don't mean to offend anybody who's smoking cigarettes because God says, come as you are. You know, but I knew better then. So if you're, if you're high as a kite, that's how he reached me. I was high as a kite and he reached me. All right, so that's, that's not meant to put down anybody. God knows where you are. I was in his presence like that, and I came with that attitude. I said, Lord, I need this. I need some direction. Should I get back with my wife? And I praise God. He told me he did. Hallelujah. Should I? Should, that's a whole other testimony. He said, should I, I said, should I do that? Should I do that? And I got kind of disrespectful with God. I was angry. Lord, I need an answer now. And I, you know what I told the Lord? I got up and I said, I'm going to open your word, Lord, and I'm going to get an answer right now. And I went like this, you know, and I had the face on determined. And I said, you know what? I've never read anything in the book of Ezekiel before, Lord. I'm going to get my answer out of there. <laughs> Something brand new from heaven. And I opened to Ezekiel chapter 20. After inquiring of the Lord all these things I wanted, and my eyes, like a magnet, was drawn in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 3. Right in the middle. Anytime it says, thus saith the Lord, I'm like, okay, he's speaking to me. <laughs> Always put yourself in scripture. Always do that. Thus saith the Lord God, Ezekiel 20, verse 3, right in the middle. Thus saith the Lord God, are ye come to inquire of me? Yeah, imagine how I felt. I said, uh-oh. <laughs> I felt like Uzzah. I just touched the ark. I'm going to get struck down right now. I said, uh-oh. As I live, saith the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Amen. Hello. I was standing up, and then as soon as he said that, I got right on my knees, like, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. You know? And I continued to read. He is good. I'm going to skim through this and what he told me this day, and, and it spoke volumes to my heart. Remember what an addiction is. What did he say? And I say unto them, verse 5, Thus saith the Lord God, In the day when I chose Israel, I put my name in there, Adam. In the day I chose you, Adam. And lifted up my hand unto the seed of the house of Jacob and made myself known unto them in the land of Egypt. The day I rescued you out of Egypt, Adam. When I lifted up my hand unto them saying, I am the Lord your God. When I came in that living room and I said, I will hold your hands. This is what he's saying to me as I'm reading. In the day that I lifted up my hand unto them to bring them forth out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had espied for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all the lands. The Lord says, remember when I took you and freed you from your bondage, which is Egypt? Remember when I told you I've called you in righteousness? That's the promised land. You're going to have a righteous life. Remember that? What else did I tell you, Adam? Verse 7. Then said I unto them, cast ye away every man the abomination of his eyes, and defile not yourself with the what? What is an idol nowadays? It's an addiction. Addictions are idols. Same thing. God says, defile not yourself with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Then verse 8, he says, but you rebelled against me, Adam, and would not hearken unto me. 
They did not every man cast away the abominations for their eyes, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. I said, Lord, have mercy. You know what he told me plain clear through that scripture? He says, Adam, I delivered you out of Egypt. I brought you out and called you in righteousness. But when you left Egypt, you had in your pocket an idol from Egypt. Cigarette. But you know what was so beautiful? Whenever God speaks to you in that manner, within his command is the power to overcome. Do you, it is. And so I said, Lord, that day, January 1st, I already smoked my cigarette. I said, Lord, okay, take this addiction of cigarettes off of me. You just told me it's time to cast it away. You just shared with me that you were upset with me. I didn't take faith and cast it away earlier. You've just showed me clearly now it's time to drop it. And I was scared because cigarettes, boy, I, I, for, through all my drugs, I, I've always had a cigarette. And, but that day, because of the power of his word, I said, Lord, I'm going to do it. And you know what got me through each day? The same thing that got me through with Isaiah 42. Right after I eat, for those of us who smoke or used to smoke, what happens right after you eat? You want to smoke so bad. Your saliva starts acting up and you want to smoke. Right after I eat, I'm like, oh, you know what I did? Got my piece of gum and opened up to Ezekiel chapter 20. And I read Ezekiel chapter 20 back to the Lord. I'll never forget what you told me this day, Lord. And I used this scripture as power, exercising faith. And you know what I did, too? I had to throw away the lighter, throw away my box of cigarettes, cut off temptation, and throw away the sneak pack, the extra pack that's hidden. Smokers know what I'm talking about. Throw that away as well, right? Do my best not to hang around my brother because he smelled like cigarettes and smoke, right? And I praise God it was on the Sabbath day because I was in church, too, in his presence. Anyone who tried to quit smoking cigarettes was overcome. Usually good three days, and on the third day, it gets really bad. Every time I've tried to quit, and I'm closing in the past, always on the third day, I would get into an argument with somebody, and I would say, that's it, man. I'm tired of this, and, and use my anger as an excuse. So I knew. I said, I know the third day something's going to happen, Lord. I'm going to get someone to call me. But each day I went through claiming the word, claiming the word, claiming the word. Day number three, sure enough, that test came. Somebody called me, and boy, oh boy, they disrespected me, called me every name under the sun. And as the call was going on, I lifted up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. <laughs> I kid you not, I was on the phone, and I literally lifted up my eyes like, Lord, help me. And I smiled because I, he, the person was cussing me out. And, and I just smiled. And I knew at that moment, the victory was mine. Amen. At that moment. Amen. Haven't smoked a cigarette since then. Amen. Since January 1st, 2011, on the Sabbath day. Because of the recipe that was followed. Right? Once he puts it in your face, you cry out to him to tell him, take it from me. I don't have the power to do it, but you do. Then do the, to the best of your ability, cut off temptation. Right? If you got to say, I've sacrificed friends. I can't hang with. I can't have fellowship with those of darkness. I could just to bring them to light, but I can't hang with you like that, you know? Unless I'm there to witness and be a light. And especially if I got a weakness, 
let me overcome that first before, now you smoke cigarettes, I'm coughing more than you guys would cough. I used to smoke for 12 years, almost two packs a day. But God can give you the victory over anything. Number one, cry out unto him, cut it off, and exercise faith in God's word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I just thank you, Lord, that we can trust in your power and that your power never fails. Now, Lord, I want to pray a specific prayer for someone here going through any addiction, Lord. It can be something as hard as drugs, or it can be something like movies. It could be a friend. It could be pornography, Lord. I pray, Lord, if that person's wrestling with pornography, that they would give it to you, cut off the computer, and grab a scripture and exercise faith in your word. Whatever the sin may be, whatever, whatever the addiction may be, Lord, I pray that you would empower them now through your grace to be overcomers. Thank you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.